Good morning. Y'all feeling good today? Oh, there you are. The lights are on. I can see y'all now. Welcome. My name is Keegan. I'm the lead pastor here at our Belton location. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to meet you right uh, after the service. I'll be out in our commons. And so stop by. I would love to hear how you ended up here this morning. Maybe somebody dragged you. That's all right. It'll be worth it. I promise you won't hate it. Okay, maybe you'll hate it, but we can talk about it afterwards if you come by the commons. Uh, but I think you'll love it. If you're looking for a church, I know a lot of times this time of year, there's people that are checking out churches that maybe don't belong to a church, don't have a local church. And so I want to encourage you, come stick around for a few weeks. I think you'll find what you're looking for here. We love God and we love each other. And it's a great spiritual family to get plugged into. Is that ringing back a little bit? Do you hear that? Do I need to change mics? Okay, we'll get that fixed. Sorry about that. They're working hard back there. Well, before we dive into Year of the Bible, I'm super excited about this series, and I'm just going to warn you, you want to get your notebooks out, you want to get your pen, your paper, we're going to go a little bit deeper. Is that all right? Okay, but before we do that, I do want to uh, give you an update on where we're at with our There Is More project. Uh, if you can throw that slide up there. We have raised today 134000 a little over 134000 Come on, we started at like forty-five, fifty-five. <laughs> Just several weeks ago. So that is super exciting. I want to thank each and every one of you that have already sewn into that and poured into that. We still have a little ways to go. We got another 265 to knock out so that we can actually uh, break ground and start the project here for all that we want to do. But this is exciting. This shows me beyond just that people want to give and, and the generosity. It shows me that people see a future here that they see a future in this location and what God is doing, that they're excited about the impact that we can continue to have on this area in Temple and in Belton and, and around the area. And so thank you so much. For those of you that haven't given yet, today is uh, the day that we're doing our year-end giving. So if you brought your gift to give today, uh, I want to thank you for that. Go ahead and put that in, and that will still count towards 2023 if you're doing all the tax write-off stuff and you're, you're factoring that in. Uh, today's the day you got to get that in. But thank you. And if you haven't yet uh, made a pledge towards our goal or or contributed, and this is your home church, I would encourage you to pray about that and contribute something, right? It's better to contribute something than nothing and not be a part. And I'll tell you why. Once, once you put into something, guess what? The reward is always greater, right? The reward, you want to be able to look back and say, you know what? I was a part of that. Even if you put one brick in the wall, maybe somebody else put 50 bricks, but you put a brick, you still put a brick in the wall. And so be a part of that. That's all I'm going to say about that. But let's move on into this exciting series for the next four weeks, we're going to be kicking off 2024 with Year of the Bible. Why is this important? Because the Bible is our foundation. In case you didn't know that, that is where we get our foundation for how we should live our lives, what lives are supposed to look like, uh, how we know God, how we know his character. How many of you, by a raise of hands, uh, are willing to admit that you've never read through your entire Bible? Okay, that's okay. Can I encourage you? Do it this year. We've got an excellent devotional out there called Honest to God. You can stop by and pick that up. That'll help you if you need something to have a plan that you're working through. But I want to encourage you, read through your entire Bible. If you do nothing more this year, go deeper in God's Word. It's going to set you up. It's going to drastically change every other area of your Bible. I promise you. There are other countries where people don't even have the luxury. They don't have the privilege of even owning their own Bible. And yet here in America, we just pick different translations and we have, you know, we have all these resources. We will give you a Bible today if you need one. But I'm going to be all on this for the entire year. I want to see all of us grow and go deeper with God. Are you ready to do that? Yeah. Come on. But it takes intentionality. I was sharing with our uh, serve team this morning in our huddle 
about how, you know, Sundays are kind of like going to the restaurant, right? Somebody's preparing the meal for you. You're going to go. You're going to eat well, right? Somebody's helping make that happen. And, and you don't have to do a whole lot but show up and eat, right? But, but throughout the week, come on, what do you got to do? You got to feed yourself, right? If you're going to have a real depth to your relationship with God, you're going to have to learn how to feed yourself and how to do some home cooking, right? You're going to have to learn how to dive into the, into God's word and, and to begin to study. And so I want to help you with that uh, maybe more than anything else this year is help you learn how to pursue God and do your own home cooking, so to speak. And so uh, we're going to go a little, a little heavy today, like I said. So some of you that have been wanting to go deeper, uh, guess what? Today's your day. But uh, I want to encourage you to take notes. You can take notes on the app. We also have the printed notes. Um, but I would encourage you also to get a journal and, and bring it to church or get a notebook or whatever. But there's something about writing down what, what God is speaking. And even as we're going through these messages, and this is all a setup, but I'm, I want to tell you, this is how you intentionally go deeper. Even on Sundays, it's, it's paying better attention. It's actually taking notes. Why? So that these things, like David said, he wanted God's word hidden in his heart, right? We talked about this before. If they took your Bible away and your version app on your phone, how much of God's word would you have to go off of the rest of your life based on what you've actually memorized and what you've actually internalized and is hidden in your heart? How many scriptures do you have memorized? Something to think about. How much do you truly value God's word? You're like, okay, can we just move on? Yes, we will move on. But as your pastor, I'm telling you, this is how it happens. You have to be intentional. Somebody was intentional with me when I was young and then first getting started. I was just talking with my first pastor that I had back in Michigan uh, a couple days ago, and he was just encouraging me, and, and he's been pastoring, obviously, for 40-some years, and, and, and we were talking about this, and I was telling him how grateful I was the older I get and the longer I walk with God, and now being in this role of being a pastor, the more I'm grateful for the foundation that was laid and, and how much they emphasize studying God's word and getting into God's word on my own and developing that habit and that pattern and that discipline in my life, as well as worship. I'll tell you, uh, this is kind of new for me to have a New Year's Eve service in the morning because the churches I grew up in, we'd meet about 5, 6 o'clock, and we'd stay there all the way until past midnight. And we would sing for about four hours. We would have some, some other things going on. But I'm telling you, there's something about being mindful of bringing in the new year with God on your mind. So tonight when you're watching the ball drop, whether it's the New York City ball or whether it's the Texas ball or whatever other ball you're watching drop tonight, I want you to just pause and take a moment and just give this year to God. Let him know. Be, be mindful. Don't just slam into it with your beverages and your party snacks and all that, but truly be mindful that, you know what, God, this year, I want to be more focused on you. I want to pursue everything that you've asked me to pursue. I want to fulfill everything that you've called me to fulfill this year. You've got you've to have that, that in your mind. Okay, let's get going. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, the best thing you can do is go back to what you do know to do. And so often in our lives, we get to these places where we're like, I'm not sure what's next. How many of you feel like that a little bit? You're at a place in your life where you're like, I don't really know what's next. Is this year just going to look like a repeat of last year? And, and I guarantee you, there's people on, uh, on either side of this. How many of you are ready to be done with 2023? Raise your hand. 
Some of you are like, I don't ever want another year like that. How many of you were like, 2023 was baller? I had some great, it was my best year yet, and I want to repeat, right? You're in one of those two places as we close out this year. But I can tell you, in all of it, when you don't know what to do, especially with God, go back to the things that you do know. Go back to him. Go back to his word. Go back to the fundamentals. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Are you glad God's ways are above ours? How many of us, you know, you know I used to have a, a pastor would tell me this. He said, your best decisions have gotten you to where you're at right now. So if you're not thrilled with the life that you're living right now, you got to look back at what? The decisions you've made to end up here. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, for all you married folks, don't bail on your marriage. Come on, you made that choice. You better stick with it, and you better trust God and make that marriage everything it's supposed to be. But, but look at the decisions you've made that have got you to the place that you're at in your life with God, with your family relationships, with your friends, with your career, and, and ask God, what do I need to do different? I don't want to just continue to repeat the same in my life. I want to actually go higher. I want to actually see things from your perspective. How do we do that? Right here. Come on, who's got your Bible? Real Christians have what? Ooh, we're getting even better every single week. But you've got to get into your word. The only way that we know how God thinks is to read his word. And to see how he thinks, to see how he handles different situations, to see how his character has, has, has been on display from since the beginning of time with his people, right? You've got to get into God's word. The Bible instructs us, and as the word of God, uh, it has its effect on us, you have to surrender to it. In order for God's word to really have an impact in your life, you've got to submit to it. If you start reading your Bible with this thought of, well, I'm going to challenge every single thing in it. Good luck. You won't get a whole lot out of it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have questions. Absolutely, you'll have questions, and you should. And when there's things you don't understand, it's good to ask so that you can learn and dig deeper. But I can tell you, if you're just bent on this Bible thing is just old, and it's just outdated, and I'm not going to get anything from it, you probably won't. You probably won't. Same way as if you took any college course, and you just sat there already dead set on, I'm not going to get anything from this course. This teacher has nothing to offer me. You won't get anything out of it. But if you approach it by faith and you approach it believing that this is the word of God, that it is useful for every area of our life, which we're going to talk about, then guess what? God will show you things that will blow your mind. And he'll give you answers to every single thing in your life. You may not like all the answers he gives you in the beginning, but I promise you, if you will trust him and if you will trust what he's saying, you will yield the benefits not him. He wrote this book for us, for our benefit, not his. Okay, it's quiet in here. I'm going to move on. But most people, instead of surrendering to the Bible, they surrender to skepticism. This is common in our culture. Just We want to be skeptical of everything. We can't trust anyone or anything. That's not true. Why do you think the devil works so hard to get people to think that they can't trust anyone? So they won't trust God. And so they won't trust each other. But people can be trusted, and God can be trusted. Will people break that trust sometimes? Sure. 
because they're flawed, they're human. You've probably broken trust before with people. But it can also be repaired. So let's look at this. The, uh, number one, the Bible can be trusted. As a work of literature, the Bible is unparalleled. This is interesting. Written by nearly 40 authors, kings, priests, farmers, lawyers, tax collectors, fishermen, a whole slew of different kinds of folks over 1,500 years in three different languages, three different continents, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, for those of you that uh, have never heard about this before. Uh, it's the best-selling book every single year. Did you know that? There's not a book that's been written that ever sells better than the Bible. Uh, people know there's something to it more than just everything else out there. But here's the problem. The world is full of people trying to discredit it. Even so-called believers spend a lot of time trying to discredit certain things and, and, and then want to cherry-pick this part of the Bible and this part and then leave that part out. And can I tell you, that's why you have to know, the, you've got to read your entire Bible. It's not just about the New Testament. The whole setup for the New Testament is, guess what? In the Old Testament. So for you to even fully understand the significance of what God opens up and reveals in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. That's one of the things that, that we work hard to do uh, and to be intentional about, uh, whether it's myself, Pastor Stephen, Pastor Nathan that you saw who's down in Liberty Hill. We want to help you connect both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you understand the, the full story of what God is trying to reveal to us. The truth is most people who don't like the Bible don't like it because of what it says about them. When you start reading the Bible, guess what? You're going to come to a problem. And the problem will be this. You have to change to live according to what God says. Not the other way around. God doesn't change. Isn't that a good thing? It's as good as gravity. It'd be a real problem if we were trying to build things and all of a sudden gravity decided to change and not be gravity anymore. We'd all be floating around inside the space, right? It'd be, be very difficult. And then all of a sudden, oop, gravity's going to work again. No, God is not working and then not working, on again, then off again. God is consistent. He's steady. That's why there's security in him. That's why you can build your foundation on him, because he's unchanging, and therefore, his word can be relied upon. But people don't want to deal with that a lot of times. They don't want to deal with when they start reading God's word, right? It says in Psalm 119, 105 that his word is a, a lamp, a, a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I love that he distinguishes between both of those because God's word, as a, as a lamp unto our feet, what does it do? It reveals the truth about where I'm at right here, right now. It shows me, because all of us can be deceived in thinking that we're someplace that we're really not, or that we're farther in, in, in something than, we're really, than we really are. But, but God's word shines, sheds light on that and shows us exactly the state of where we're at in life. But then his word also offers a light to show us the direction that we're supposed to go. It does both. It's powerful. But here's three common objections to the reliability and authority of scripture. And why are we going through all this? We're going through this because if you don't believe that the Bible can be trusted, you won't dive into it. You won't take uh, what it says and what it has to offer any more serious than your Harry Potter books or whatever else the new Diary of a Wimpy Kid or whatever else is out there that people are reading. But if you don't really understand that this is different than all the rest, you won't value it for what it really is and what God offers us in it. 
So let's look at these common objections. Uh, usually, people have one of these three things, uh, that there's condoned wickedness, they think that there's uh, historical and textual criticisms that they have, or there's translation and transmission errors. So let's look at each one of these, because I want to give you, you know, we don't have just a blind faith as believers. Do you know that? There is a lot of evidence for our faith. There's a lot of evidence of Jesus and his life on this earth and what he did. There's, there's a lot of tangible, what we would call uh, concrete things that we can look at historically that validate and prove the existence of Jesus and therefore everything that he said and that he did. And a lot of people don't want to look at that or they don't know that. But we don't have a blind faith. Our, our faith is built on, on what's solid. So condone wickedness. The Bible doesn't actually condone wickedness. When people say, well, it does, no, it doesn't. And let me explain. The Bible does include a lot of stories that show the consequences of sin, even among the people of God, stories of slavery, adultery, polygamy, and mistreatment of women and children are included to show us what happens when people live as if there is no God. You've got to understand this. I had a pastor, Pastor Ken Du, who was a great teacher of God's word, and he said, you've got to realize in scripture there's one of two things. There's prescriptive text which is go and do likewise, and then there's descriptive text, which is text that simply is describing what has happened or what's taken place, and it's not necessarily a go and do likewise. We can learn from all of it, right? We can learn from the parts that explicitly tell us and clearly tell us to go and do the same, and the parts like this where you see polygamy, and, and, and that's not something God ordains and says, oh yeah, go do that. Go get yourself a handful of wives and just go about your business. Right? So you've got to understand when you're reading God's word that the, the, some things are prescriptive, some things are descriptive, but God can teach us things through both. Does that make sense? So this is summed up in the final words of the book of Judges. In Judges 21, 25, it says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This is where our society is so often. We're just doing what we think is right in our own eyes. But we just said at the very beginning in Isaiah that our ways are, are not high, right? Our ways are lower than God's. So even, even what we think is right, we're not the best judge of what's right and wrong. Do you agree? Right? That's why all of us have to surrender to a higher morality, right? A higher ethics than our own because mine will be different than yours. What I'm cool with, you might not be cool with, and vice versa. That's why God gave us his word. It's true that God will give people what they want, but he's always teaching them, instructing them, and letting consequences be the schoolmaster. He never condones evil, even though at times he allowed evil to occur. Even in our own lives, if we're rebelling against God, if we're walking in disobedience, right? God may not send sickness to you, but he may allow it. Why? Does it teach you something? We don't want to talk about that. And I've heard uh, preachers say, well, God never sends a sickness. Well, that's not actually true. You can go back in your Old Testament. And there was a time that God did send sickness on his people to teach them a lesson. Oh, really? I've only been reading this part over here. Well, when you open your Bible, you got to turn left sometimes. And you'll find a whole other aspect to this loving Jesus, this loving God that, that's also just and fair, and he deals with wickedness, and he deals with rebellion, and he does judge things. 
but we might not be ready for that in 2024. I think you are, though. Additionally, people must have a moral basis for their moral objections. People who reject the morality of Scripture have no footing to criticize the morality of Scripture. Again, how can we, as the created, who are we to question and, and judge the creator? Any more than your kids have a right to judge your decisions as a parent, as if they know better. Like my daughter's eight. If she starts telling me how life ought to be, I just tune out. I'm like, you literally have no idea what you're talking about. Everything you have has been handed to you. You don't know squat yet. <laughs> right? That's the way it is when we start, well, I'm not so sure you're right about this, God. He's like, I'm sorry, what? Can you even make your body continue to have oxygen and, and function and bleed? I can, I can make it so you don't wake up tomorrow. And you're going to talk to me about I think a lot of people are going to have some interesting conversations with God when they get to heaven. <laughs> Number two, historical and contextual or, or textual criticism. Biblical writers, you got to know this, they didn't approach history the way that we do. And this is going to be a little heady for a minute, but I, I want to get through this. Postmodernism, specifically our Western postmodernism, approaches fact-based history and reality in strict terms. At least that's what they claim to do. So if someone says something occurred on a particular date, it better have occurred on that day, or they dismiss it completely as being wrong. Biblical writers were less concerned with reporting history and facts the same way we do. This isn't unique to biblical writers either. Writers of antiquity, uh, period, were more interested in big ideas, concepts, and their focus on what was important was different than ours. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, we just finished Christmas. There's a big debate about exactly when Jesus was born. We celebrate it December 25th, and there's good case, actually, to be made for that. There's also compelling cases that we could have been, uh, he could have been born in the spring Pascal season or even in, sometime in September. But here's the, here's the thing. What matters is that he was born, and that's what they were reporting, and that's what they were excited about. That's what the most important thing to communicate was. It wasn't the actual technical date and time because none of them were there, and I don't know that, you know, Mary and Joseph checked their iWatch. Oh, okay. 9.32, you know. But you got to understand, the biblical writers focus more on his divinity and fulfillment of prophecy than facts and dates and whether data for postmodernists to later to uh, deconstruct. And the four Gospels uh, are designed to show different perspectives and aspects. In other words, uh, this is not, there's not four different Gospels. The better way to think about this is that there's the gospel according to four different writers, right? There's one gospel, and we have four different accounts of that gospel, four different perspectives of which God uses to show us different aspects of this. Uh, if you study, you'll see uh, people uh, uh, talk about Matthew being uh, those, written more for the Jewish community and, and really emphasize Jesus as the Messiah. Throughout Mark, you'll see that it was, it was written to, to the Romans or to those suffering in Rome. Uh, and, and Jesus is emphasized as the suffering son of God. In Luke, uh, the emphasis is on Christ the man. Jesus is the savior of all people. And in John, uh, you see his, his focus is on the deity of Christ. That he's not just a man, but he is in fact the son of God, the eternal son of God. And so none of these gospels are competing with one another. Instead, they're all showing us a different perspective of the same gospel. Does that make sense? That's why it's important to, to not just stick in just one of them. 
Uh, postmodernism, in case you're not familiar with this, I know we throw this term out sometimes, but not everybody understands what that truly means. It's a philosophical and cultural movement that challenges traditional perspectives and emphasizes the relative nature of truth and knowledge. This is where we're at, where you have your own truth and I have my own truth. This is why a lot of people struggle with believing the Bible, because they just look at it as, well, that was somebody else's truth from ancient times. Right? No. There's only one truth. And there's only one source of truth, and it's God. And the only way that we know his truth is through his word, him revealing it to us. We don't create truth. Pastor Stephen says this all the time. We don't create it. It's discovered and revealed. You discover it when God starts showing it to you and revealing it to you, and it begins with his word. Characterized by skepticism towards grand narratives and ideologies. This is also a mark of postmodernism. Arguing that reality is subjective and constructed through language, power structures, cultural context. Uh, again, this is why it's hard for people in our society in this postmodernism uh, culture to just embrace the Bible. This approach often leads to an emphasis on plurality, diversity, and the deconstruction of established categories and concepts. This is why even... Uh, some believers have fallen into this w uh, way of thinking where now they just want to look at the Bible and say, well, I think it's all up for reinterpretation. I'm not sure God thinks the same way about, you know, some of these buzz issues. I I I'm not sure God, you know, still thinks the same way about homosexuality or he still thinks the same way about, you know, the, the gender fluidity stuff. And I think, you know, we've got to get, get a new fresh perspective on that and interpretation. No, we don't. God's not changing. And if God had something new to say about, about these issues, guess what? He would have said it. But he hasn't because he hasn't changed his mind about it. I'll leave it at that for now. Postmodernism questions the assumptions and values of previous eras, including biblical assertions and worldviews. And this is important because every single day, you have a choice to make whether you're going to believe God and believe his word or not. And I'm just telling you, how you decide and what you decide is going to determine the outcome of your life. You will either grow closer to God every day or you'll drift apart from him. It's that simple. If you start questioning just everything and you get into endless questions, listen, at some point, the, the whole Socratic method, the whole answer a question with another question and another question, at some point you have to have an answer, right? Nothing gets done until there's actually an answer. Guess what? Jesus is the answer, and he does have answers. We don't have to have endless debates where we never can get to a finality and get to an absolute truth. Jesus does offer absolute truth in who he is and in his word. And you just have to, you have to believe that, and you have to live that way. And so when people start coming to you and they're like, well, I just don't know if I believe that. Well, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop believing it just because you're struggling with it. Let me help you. Let me show you where God says this about this. And then it's up to you. If you want to reject it, you have that ability. You have that right. God has given you a free will. But if you stay in that space... Where it's like, well, I'll believe, I'll take it, I think that's okay, I'll apply that to my life, but this other part that I don't like, I'm not going to apply that. I'm going to tell you, your relationship with God will get stagnant. 
You've got to believe. We're going to see here in a minute. 2 Timothy says that all scripture, say all. All scripture is useful. Everything in this book applies to us. Even the things that you can't fully understand when you first start reading. You're going to get lost in Leviticus, I'm telling you. And Numbers and some of these others, you're going to be like, what is happening? How in the world am I going to learn anything from this? These random goats. And then you're going to get to Revelation and there's like, you know, different creatures that have four faces. And you're going to be like, what's happening? Can I tell you, God will show you. And there's something you can learn from all of it. I'll keep going. It's actually remarkable how many facts, dates, and scientific data points can be found in Scripture when that wasn't even the point of why they were writing. Number three, the translation and transmission errors. Manuscript variances strengthen the case for reliability. And again, this is a little heady, but stay with me, and then we'll, we'll bring it home, I promise. Uh, you got to understand that like all ancient texts, the scriptures were copied and recopied by hand for centuries. This process inevitably leads to errors and variances in the text. If we were to play, uh, you know, you play the telephone game where I tell you something and then you tell your neighbor and then by the time it gets to the back row, it's a completely different story. It would be that way also if we were to write something down and then say, hey, okay, you saw what was written, now you go write it down. And then you saw what was written and you go write it down. It would change, Right? But here's what you can rest assured and know. Facts about these variances. We have over 5,700 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, ranging from small uh, papyrus fragments to complete scrolls and manuscripts. The next highest attested works of literature in all of antiquity are Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, of which there's only a few hundred fragments. Nothing like the 5,700 we have of the New Testament. No complete copies. And yet no one is running around telling you that Odyssey isn't a real book and can't be trusted. It's only with the Bible that they want to use that to discredit it. In those 5,700 manuscripts of Scripture, it is true that there are over 400,000 variances. But over 99% of known variants are not viable, meaning they have no impact on the text. This is important. 99% of them are related to punctuation, differences in spelling, differences in word order, smudges, etc. Does that make sense? So, hey, there's 400,000 variances. Yes, and 99% of them don't change the text. It's okay. This is why you've got to learn. This is why you've got to know, right? When people are like, well, you just can't trust that Bible. Yes, you can. More than you trust in the other things that you so easily trust in. I'll continue. Of the, variable, of the viable variances in the text, right, the 1%, meaning that they do actually impact the text, they still do not impact the meaning. Uh, most things, uh, again, stay with me. So, for example, one, one copy has two columns of text and the other has only one because a scribe got tired and, and maybe missed a column. Or there's grammatical errors, similar to if I was writing and said, I want to eat a apple versus I want to eat an apple. It's a mistake and everyone knows it, but everyone knows what's actually trying to be said, right? Or this uh, homeotolution errors. That's the first time I've ever had to say that word out loud. <laughs> Where two separate phrases or lines have identical endings and the copyist's eye slips from one to the other and omits the uh, intervening words. In English, uh, for example, if one line ended with the word singing, then the next line ended with bringing, but the scribe's eye moving quickly saw the ing from singing, thought it was there for bringing, and left it off of bringing by accident, it would uh, only say bring. Right? So again, it's a mistake, but it doesn't change the meaning. 
Does that make sense? All this to say, these are the kinds of, of little knick-knack, ticky-tack, whatever, can't go back. I don't even know where that's from. I've got a weird brain. It's okay. But all of these little technicalities that, that skeptical people, skeptical postmodernists are so quick to discredit the entire Bible from, they're really so minuscule that they're not even worth bringing up in actuality. And it's astonishing. They'll ignore all the testimonies of actual people's lives being changed who have come to salvation, come to faith in Christ, and they see the life, and they see the joy, and they see all of these things. They see the healing of their families. They see the, the, all this other great stuff. Nope. It said bring, not bringing. <laughs> I don't trust any of it. Okay, then go live your life. That's one thing I'll tell you right now. Don't get into foolish arguments with people. They want to debate all day long about that, whether or not the Bible can be trusted. First of all, you should be the, the thing that they're looking at that they see and go, you know what? Whatever they're doing, I want some of that. You should be the first example of how much this actually works. And if your life, if your life isn't being changed because you're following Scripture, then guess what? They're not going to be able to see it. And all they're going to be left with to judge by is technicalities. We're supposed to be the living examples. We're supposed to be God's proof in the earth that guess what? He works. His ways work. What he says is true. I get real excited about this stuff. Okay, I'm going to keep moving and I'll pick up the pace. Not a single error, listen to this, ever pointed out by a single skeptic has ever changed the character and nature of God, of Jesus, of sin, and salvation. This is the beauty and the reliability of having so many manuscripts of freely transmitted text. Unlike the Koran, for example, which is highly controlled and redacted text, the Bible was freely transmitted, resulting in thousands of copies. No person or group could ever take the entire Bible and remove or add pet doctrines because of how the text has been transmitted. There are simply too many manuscripts with too much agreement for that to be possible. I won't get into it, but the, the great discovery and the excitement of the Dead Sea Scrolls. How many of you have heard of, of that when they found those in the caves of uh, Qumran or whatever it was? What they realize is, you know what? The Bible that we're holding to today is the same as the one that was written, right? That, they, that it, even in all of the different uh, translations and the different copies and the, and the reprinting and all of that, it still holds true to what God initially gave us. So I'll move on. Here's two more quick excuses for not reading the Bible uh, that people often have. I don't understand. Understanding the Bible is one big story that shows us who God is. A lot of times people will, you know, they start reading their Bible and then they get to something that they can't figure out and so they just stop. Why would you do that? Investigate. Go a little deeper. Right? Do a little work. Is it okay if your Christianity requires you to do a little work? I don't know, but you talk to anybody who's ever accomplished anything and they'll tell you, you got to put some work into it. We just want our faith to come so easy. We just want God to do all of it for us. If we're really being honest, like, why do I have to sit here and spend time in silence so you can hear what he wants to say to you? Why do I have to read this Bible every day? And you read Instagram every five seconds. <laughs> What's more important, really? Well, I just don't understand it. Well, you didn't understand a lot of things until you learned about them. 
You didn't understand how to play that sport you love so much until you got into it. You didn't understand how to beat that video game until you started playing it and stuck with it and kept going. That's a, that's a lame excuse, like most of our excuses. And I'm there with you. I have lame excuses myself, my wife will tell you. Or I don't have time. This is another lame excuse. I don't have time to read God's word. Yes, you do. You just don't want to spend your time doing it. Come on, all in favor, say aye. We all have time. We read all kinds of stuff all day long. We have time. We're just not choosing to spend our time reading God's word. But we can this year. You may have sucked at reading your Bible in 2023. Guess what? In a few more hours, that's all going to be behind you. You can get fired up and get on track and have a, you can crush it. You can read your whole Bible this year. Going to get excited about this, I promise. 2 Timothy 3.16, I said this earlier, alluded to it. All scripture, say all. all. All of it, the whole book is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Come on, we need that. Right? It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Only a loving God or a loving parent actually takes the time to correct their kid. Why? Because you don't want them to grow up and have a terrible, lousy life because they don't know how to function. God gave us this so that we would understand how to live our life. Who knows how to live a successful life better than the one who created and gives life? That's a rhetorical question. No one. The world cannot tell you the best way to live life. Only God can tell you that. So with all of that, let's, let me show you uh, quickly two more ways that we, the Bible instructs us. Um, number one, we said it can be trusted. Number two, the Bible teaches us God's perspective. Look at Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Right? This is why we've got to ask God, hey, is this the right choice? Is this the right track? Is this the right path, direction you want me to go? Because there's a lot of stuff that looks right to me, but it may not be the path that he has. It may not be his best. Come on, you don't want to settle, right? Even the world knows they don't want to settle for good when great's available. You can live great with God, but you got to ask him, is this how it should go? One of my favorite Proverbs, I didn't, I didn't pull it up for this, but it says that people ruin their lives by their own decisions and then get mad at God. There's a ton of people walking around right now angry at God because of their own decisions and the consequences of their own decisions. Come on, I've been there. I've been mad at God for stuff that I didn't do. You'll never be fulfilled apart from relationship with God. Isaiah 45, 9 says this, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? This is the first thing I go to when people start talking about you know, letting our kids at three years old decide if they want to be a boy or a girl. As if God's up there and there's some big, you know, human factory, human-making factory, and, oh, crap, we slipped and put a boy in a girl's body. This t that's the third one this week, Leo. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. My Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, each and every person. If you get born with the parts to be a boy, it's because you're supposed to be a boy. And you grow up to be a man, and God has great purpose and significance. I will never, I'm not even going to get into this with people. It is that clear. If God made you a woman, it's because he has purpose, and he's got a destiny and a plan for you to be an amazing woman. 
And it's to be celebrated. This gender confusion garbage, man, I'm telling, man, don't come here if you don't want to hear about that. But we cannot get shy about this stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now, I love that about Pastor Stephen and about Pastor Nate. We will not, uh, we're going to be loving about it. But when something is dumb, my mom used to tell me, if something's dumb, it's dumb. If that's garbage, it's garbage. We're not going to have a philosophical conversation about it. No, don't confuse the child. Instead, affirm that God has made you to be a boy, and you're going to grow up to be an incredible man, and you're going to do great things with God. And same if you've got a little girl. I don't have time for that mess. You don't just read the Bible. If you start reading it, you realize this. It actually reads you. It teaches you. Our hearts should be, even when we approach it, not just teach me, but change me. You know, we could be like the Pharisees and get real, even get real knowledgeable about what these pages say. And still, if it doesn't go from our head to our heart and change our life and change the way we act and the way we talk to people and the way we think, it's all for nothing. There's a lot of really smart, scripture-knowing people that are terrible people, treat people like trash, don't have any love in their heart for people, constantly critical about little things, and they don't actually exude the character of God. They've learned the word of God, but they haven't learned to walk like God. And that's the greatest goal. That's why David wanted God's word. He said, I want to know your ways, not so I can just tell everyone how much I know, but so that he could live in a way that his life pleased God, which is our highest aim, to live our lives in a way that pleases God. James 125, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You've got to look into it. Oh, there's so much more. I've got to keep going. The Bible teaches us the story of Jesus. This is the third way that it instructs us. John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Excuse me. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Here's what everyone in here knows. There's darkness in the world, and others, yes, even in us. We only overcome this darkness with the light. Kevin, you can come on up. The Bible shows us who Jesus is. It tells us the amazing story of how he came. And how he takes us from, from fallen, sinful man, right? The Bible says, we don't have time to get into this, but Adam fell. He and Eve chose sin. They missed the mark. And, and, and that then caused a, a ripple effect where all of us then were born into the sin nature, separated from God. We all have the same sin problem when we're born. We're separated from God. And there's no way to bridge that gap and get back to being in relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. He had to come. He had to be the spotless lamb. He had to settle the issue of our sin so that we could then enter the presence of, the, of a holy, sinless, pure God. The Bible says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. We can't go into his presence with darkness in our life. But Jesus came to make a way. Before we leave, I want to bring some light into your life. Is that Okay. Y'all with me? Four aspects of the gospel. 
and I'll fly through these. Number one, God created you to belong. God created you to belong. Created to belong, to be known by others and to know others for relationship. You know, I've had people say, uh, I used to deal with this a lot as a worship pastor. People would say, well, God created us to worship. And they would say it, and I know what they mean. What they mean is that we're meant to worship God, and we are. But I like to say it this way, that God actually created us because he's a loving God, and he had to have someone to show his love to you. But we're all wired for worship. We will worship. People worship. People either worship God or they worship sports or celebrities or, or whatever else in their life. But, but we're wired to it. But God didn't just make us to just all be down here 100% of the time just singing praises endlessly and, and that's it. And that's the extent of our relationship with God. No, he created us because God is love and love has to, has to have something to love on. He made you and I for belonging, to be with him. He wanted a family. And so he created a family. Number two, sin separates us from God. I just talked about this, Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace. Say wonderful grace. And his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. See, where through one person sin came, through another it was settled and taken care of. But it's only if you're in him. It's only if you accept what he's done. You cannot deal with your own sin. You and I are powerless to overcome and deal with our own sin. It's only in Christ that our sin gets dealt with. Number three, Jesus brings us back to God. Jesus restored our relationship with God. Romans 10, 9, we say this uh, in references to the end of our services when we're inviting people to give their life to Christ. It says, if you openly declare, openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is why around here, I don't ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. That's not openly. I believe openly, like the day that I got saved, is you saying, you know what? I don't care who's looking around. I just heard some good news, and I've never felt a love like this. I've never seen God, what God has done for me like I see right now, and I want to say yes to him. And I don't care who knows it. Come on, it's like any other thing in our life. When you're super excited about something, you don't care if other people know. Matter of fact, you're like, let me get on social media. Let me show everybody about this thing I just won. Let me show everybody about this promotion I just had. Let me show everybody about this thing that just happened in my family, about what I just got, this prize I just won, this movie I just saw. That's why I don't want to hear this like, well, I can only, I'm only going to, yes, Jesus, if no one's looking. No, I want to set you up for success this year. When you say yes to God, guess what? He died on the cross in front of whoever wanted to be there and stand and look and stare. And he says, if you'll not deny me in front of people, then I won't deny you in front of my father. Some of you need to take your faith outside of your quiet place. Stop being a covert Christian. Do the people around you know that you're even a believer? Easy, pastor. I just try to keep this my Sunday thing. Christianity is not being a weekend warrior. 
I'm telling you, live this year differently. Be on fire for God. You should have people going, why are you different? And not because you're weird, like really weird. Read God's word. It'll help you not be weird. It'll help you be bold and, and full of faith and, and, and dare to believe God for things that others don't have the faith for. But you should be, people should be looking at your life and wondering why you're different. And then you just got to tell them. If you got five minutes, I'd love to tell you. His name is Jesus. And I've never been so alive since I've given my life to him. I've never had such peace. I've never had such joy. I've never felt such purpose. If you can't say that, I would honestly wonder if you're really even saved. Can I get in your grill a little bit? What's that old saying? Crap or get off the pot. Let's say it how it needs to be said. Either serve God with everything or stop playing around. Live for him, for real. Don't go halfway. Nobody likes a halfway person. Come on, Kenny coaches basketball. Do you think he wants to see a player go halfway and then just give up on the play? No, he'd sit there and be like, what's wrong with you? Finish. Go all the way. Like, why are you yelling? Because it matters. It really matters. And some of you have been serving God, but you've gotten this complacent place. I'm trying to shake you up. Don't have another year of complacency. People should know that they can come to you. That when their world's falling apart, they can say, you know what? That one guy at work, that one lady at work, I think she knows God. And I, I, I don't know where else to go, so I'm going to go talk to her. That's when your faith gets real. Not this huddle in our house Christianity. Number four, Jesus brings us back to each other. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I don't have time to get into that. Everyone out in the world is not a child of God. They're all a creation of God. We're all God's creation, but we're not children until we do what this just says. Believe in him, accept him, accept Jesus. Then he gives us the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, obviously, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You can be reborn in a moment. Some of you are like, the family I come from is whatever. Guess what? You can be reborn into your spiritual family. And God will help you fix the other one. My last scripture for you, 1 Peter 2, 9. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know why we know all of this? Because of this. Because God cared enough to have it written down so that the story could be told, so the good news could be shared time after time after time. This Bible says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And those who know their God, know their God, will be strong and do exploits. Some of you are wondering why you don't have any strength. You don't have any exploits happening. How well do you actually know God? 
How much priority does he actually have in your life? You're like, man, can I just get to the party later tonight? Yes, go have fun, party, whatever you're going to do. Be sober, though. Don't get smashed. Well, the Bible says you would, I mean, it's in there, I promise. It says, don't get drunk. Some of you, about, if you're going to go home and your plan is to get drunk, I'm just telling you, that's not according to God's, that's not God's best for your life. Learn how to bring in a new year sober. It'll change things. Are you excited about this year? I'm telling you. I want to see things happen this year. I want to see miracles happen in this place. I want to see people getting saved and set free. I want to see broken homes get restored and get healed. I want to see relationships get healed. I want to see marriages that are on the verge, the verge of breaking up say, you know what? It doesn't have to end this way. In our own strength, yes, it's falling apart and we've got no hope. But there's someone else who can give us the strength to stay and keep this thing together and actually see it flourish. His name is Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm challenging you. Pursue God with everything this year. I mean everything. More than you want that raise. More than you want that promotion. More than you want that, that whatever it is. You fill in the blank. Want God more than all of those other things. And I promise you, this book that doesn't lie says that he'll give you the desires of your heart. Put him first. And watch him take care of all those other things. Put him first. Let me pray for you. And I want to ask you first, just like we do in every service, if you want to say yes to Jesus today, I've already shared with you the gospel, the good news, that he came, that he gave his life, that he solved the sin problem, that he actually died on the cross and took the punishment for your sin and my sin. And all he asks you to do, it's crazy, I know, but all he asks you to do is believe in him. Believe that he said uh, that he is who he said he is, that he came, he lived this life, he died, and he was raised again, and he conquered sin and death. And if you'll believe that, if you'll believe in him and you'll put your faith in him, not just intellectually, but in your heart, say, God, I believe you, and I want to surrender my life to you. If you'll do that right here in this moment, like we just read, you'll be born again. You'll become a child of God, and you can walk out of here with certainty about your eternal standing with God. So if that's you, if you want to give your life to Christ, you want to start 2024 knowing that you are one of, that you are God's child, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three with every head up and every eye open, boldly on the count of three, one, two, three. Anybody in this room? Thank you. Come on. Anybody else? And there's a second group. Thank you for, for raising your hand. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Thank you for being bold. And for those of you that, that maybe you have started a relationship with God, but you're honestly, you're like, you know what? He's been kind of on the back burner, and I haven't prioritized him. And you want to you wanna recommit and say, you know what, God? You're going to be priority number one in my life for this next year. Not my family, not anything else. You are going to be priority. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on. You're going to get serious about your faith. Thank you. I'm telling you. God will meet you right where you're at. He will run after you. You make one step towards him and he comes running to you. 
Let me pray for you. And I want you to repeat after me. Let's all say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. As we're wrapping up 2023, thank you for the reminder of your good news, of the gospel, that you came and you died for me. You took the punishment, the consequence for my sin, and you offer me freedom and salvation if I would just trust in you. I do trust in you. I trust your word. And today, of my own free will, I choose you, Jesus, just like you've chosen me first. I ask you to come into my life. Be the number one priority in my life. Be my Savior, be my Lord, and be my King. I will follow you with all of my heart, all of my strength, all of my mind, and all of my soul from this day forever. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate?